morning. How many are glad that we have a group of women that pray together every week for this church? Right? It's awesome. I'm so grateful for them. And, you know, we've been talking about this being an inside-out church and uh, getting outside the walls and, and doing what matters out there. And we said it's do good, love each other, reveal Jesus. And, and I just love how that was just described, that the prayer is a time that starts motivating people to get outside the walls while we're praying, sometimes in the walls and praying for Jesus to move out there and, uh, and, and loving each other as well in the same space. And Jesus is revealed. So I am just... I'm just beyond grateful every Thursday when that group of women comes in. And uh, they're there. We can usually hear them. They're a few rooms away. But, man, they pray passionately. And uh, so it's good. Good morning, Evangel. It's a good day today, yeah? It is. There's a parade outside. And uh, I told the first service, somebody came to me and said the St. Patrick's Day parade is on. And they asked if that was for me. Because Patty, Right. And I said, yes, it totally is. It's all about me, the St. Patrick's Day Parade. So I'd like to thank the city of Montreal for throwing me a parade. Super nice. And uh, I'm laughing because we had three people in the first service, at least three, that came to me in the first service and said they specifically came to Evangel today so they could go to the parade. So I said, well, whatever works, right? Whatever brings people to church is a good thing. But it's a good day. Don't you think it's a good day? Yeah, it is. Um, we're going to look at uh, the book of Mark today, and I just want to remind you, if, if you're a person who uses social media, just turn your phone, turn it to silent so you don't drive the people beside you crazy, but you're welcome to tweet or Facebook or Instagram, anything you want from the service. I think that's part of Inside Out, seeing what happened inside, putting it out there. And uh, if you have version on your phones, then you can look at the scripture that's on there. If you don't, you want to download that app. If you're one of the people, somebody said to me last week, Patty, I bring this every week. When are we doing it again? If you have it with you this week, we're using it today, page 72. Oops. Or if you have an old-fashioned, regular, paper-style Bible like I have at home, then you're welcome to use that as well. Does that sound good? Good. So we're going on to uh, Mark It Up and this little series. We've been bouncing through it and doing a little bit from time to time in between other stuff, and which is great because it means we're taking our time with it and it's all going well. But it also means that we're actually, in some places, taking longer to go through the book of Mark than it actually took for the events to happen. So we're a little bit in slow motion. So today is, is Palm Sunday, but the story that talks about Palm Sunday is in a scripture just a little bit earlier. We actually talked about it in November, okay? And so now we're just a little bit past Palm Sunday, but we have not yet got to Easter. And that whole time is just one week long, and we're taking several months to go through it and to unpack it. So in some ways, it's really great to unpack scripture and look at it slowly and make sure we understand everything that's happening. And that's a really positive thing. But at the same time, you know, if you kind of think about it, the disciples, it's nice that we have all this time, but the disciples that were part of the stories, they didn't get that time. They just had to take it as it went and figure it out as it went because it all happened really fast. And so the last several chapters of Mark all happen within just a few days. So you got to imagine that today is like Tuesday-ish of Holy Week, what would be called Holy Week. And, and Sunday was the day when Jesus rode into, into the city on a, on a donkey, and he rode in really intentionally as the Messiah, and everybody was waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna and recognizing him as the Messiah. That was only really two days ago. And then yesterday, judging by, by biblical time, yesterday, Yesterday, then he came back into Jerusalem and marched into the temple and trashed it. 
threw everything over, got really angry at people and, and just disrupted everything that was happening there because he was so upset that people had been um, restricted from actually worshiping God because they were so busy doing their religious practices. And we talked about that last November. And then in between, he, he cursed a tree, so that's weird, and taught about faith and taught about all that kind of thing. And that has all been, even though it's taken us a few months to talk about it, that has all been in just the last few days. Okay, so I need you to feel that tension because in just a few more days is going to be the crucifixion, which is what we're going to be honoring and, and respecting on Good Friday, this coming Friday at this church. And so now here we are like Tuesday-ish and they're heading to Jerusalem again, Jesus and his disciples. So you got to keep in mind, okay, you got it in your head. It's only been 24 hours since he trashed the temple. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, that's a whole group that we're going to call the religious leaders, okay, came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, well, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they huddled off to the side and they discussed it with one another saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus... We don't know. And Jesus said to them, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's a little bit of a fun story, this one is. It's a little bit fun as you imagine the attitude that's happening in there. And you have to notice that the conversation happens as they're walking into the temple. Just as Jesus and his disciples are walking into the temple, they're met by the religious leaders. And it's understandable that the religious leaders are sort of waiting there and and waiting to confront them and waiting to, um, to, to sort of talk to them right there at the doors because, hello, he trashed the temple yesterday right? So they wanted a security team with, with jackets and everything else. We would do the same thing. If somebody came into this place and sort of trashed it and they came back the next day, we'd probably meet them at the doors and say, can we have a little bit of a chat before you come in a second time? But the difference is, is that the, the difference this time was that the crowd, the whole crowd that was there, they actually really liked Jesus, They thought he was great. They really liked his teaching. And you got to remember, it's a big crowd. It's a really big crowd because it's Passover. And if you were here last November when I talked about this, we talked about the, the, the many, many people, thousands and thousands of people who would have been camped all around the outside of Jerusalem because there wasn't room anymore inside. And we said that the temple was filled with all kinds of Passover lambs that could be purchased and, and money changers and all of that kind of thing. So the place is just hopping. There's a big crowd there and they really like Jesus. In fact, 
a couple of days ago, it was this same crowd that was actually cheering for Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, basically intentionally claiming to be the Messiah. He rode in, fulfilling all kinds of prophetic symbols that showed that he believed he was the Messiah, and the crowd supported him, and they cheered for him. So it's a little bit complex, the spot that the religious leaders are in right now. And basically, they've got one question for Jesus, okay? Because he's ridden in as the Messiah, and he's trashed the temple, and he referred to God as his father, which is blasphemous to them. And so in their world, in the way that the world works in their heads and in their understanding of faith, he has done about a million things that suggest that he thinks he's God. Just as a side note, Don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus didn't claim to be God. Every now and then, somebody stands up and they go, Wow, Jesus never claimed to be God. I assure you, he absolutely did. He did all kinds of things. This is, he did all kinds of things to fulfill prophecy and that pointed in in different forms of language and stuff that pointed to his understanding that he was the son of God. He was God. And this is why C.S. Lewis, who's a really respected author, uh, talking about Christian faith, said that you just can't call Jesus a good teacher, but nothing else. You can't do that. Because he said Jesus really was quite intentional in suggesting that he felt that he was the son of God. So he's either a lunatic and a lunatic can't be a good teacher, right? Or he's a liar, and a liar probably isn't a good teacher either. Or he actually was who he claimed to be. But you can't settle on and say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher, and that's it. Mm -mm. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was who he claimed to be. And so that's just a side note, but it's a really, it's a pretty important one. And so he gets to the temple, and the religious leaders, they're going to call him on that. And they have just one question they want to ask him, and that question is, who do you think you are? Say that with me. Ready? Who do you think you are? Now, you have to do it with the head moves and get the attitude into it. Okay, so loosen up a little. Try it, okay? And let's do it together. Who do you think you are? Oh, that was good. That was very good. This is the question that they're asking Jesus. And that because the truth is, if he answers and says, I think I'm God, they've got grounds to kill him. That's blasphemy. And Jesus knows it. And the crowd knows it, and the whole crowd is watching. And Jesus, I think, smiles when they say that. I just think he gets a little smile on his face, and he folds his arms, and he goes, okay, I'll answer your question. I got no problem answering your question. If you answer mine, who do you think John the Baptist was? And now they're stuck. Now they're in a quandary because the crowd loved John the Baptist. The crowd thought John the Baptist was a prophet. And John the Baptist, the prophet, had as much as said that Jesus was the Messiah. So the religious leaders have their little private conversation over here. And they go, well, if we say that John the Baptist was from God, then he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? And if we say that John the Baptist wasn't from God, then the crowd's going to turn on us and it's going to get ugly. So they just can't win. And so they come back with all of the religious dignity that they can muster and they go, we don't know. Right? Really dignified and stuff. And Jesus goes, oh, that's a shame. I guess I won't answer your question then either. 
And then, well, he kind of does answer the question. If you're paying attention and if you're listening, which both the crowd and the religious leaders were. And here's, what, here's how Jesus answers the question. Mark 12, verse 1. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent, them to an, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other. A beloved son. Say that part with me. A beloved son. And finally, he sent him to them, saying, they'll respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they, the religious leaders listening to the parable, were seeking to arrest him. But they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Smart guys, these religious leaders. So they left him and went away. Now, let me just unpack this parable in the short form, okay? So that you understand what it is that they heard as Jesus was telling this parable right after they said to him, who do you think you are, okay? Here's the short form. The owner of the vineyard in this parable, that's God. The tenants of the vineyard who are supposed to be taking care of it and supposed to be reporting back and they're supposed to be doing what needs to be done to take care of God's vineyard, that's the religious leaders. The servants that the owner sends to hold them accountable and to check in and see how things are going, that's the prophets, That's the Old Testament prophets that God sent over and over again to the religious leaders. And some of them they beat and some of them they killed and all of that, all through history. And finally, God said that he had, what did we say? A beloved son. And finally, he sent him to them and said, well, they'll respect my son. But those religious leaders said to one another, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him. And what is God going to do? He's going to take the vineyard away from them. And he's going to give it to somebody else. And it's no longer going to be just the Jewish religious leaders who are running the show. God is blowing it wide open for others to be part of his family. It's a huge parable, what Jesus just taught there. And, Jesus said, the prophets had warned them this would happen. Didn't you know, the prophets said, don't you know that the one that you've rejected is the key to the whole thing? He's the cornerstone. And don't go thinking the devil did it. This is God's doing. 
And it's marvelous. That's what the parable meant. That was Jesus' very public answer to, who do you think you are? Jesus' very public answer to that question was, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the son. I know who I am. Who do you think you are? And you could just cut the tension with a knife. And here's the thing. The religious leaders, they look at the crowd, at everybody that's standing around, watching this happen, listening, some of them with some amusement, because crowds enjoy a good show. And they knew they're outdone. They know they're outdone. They can't possibly win because twice in the scripture that we read today, in in chapter 11, verse 32, and in chapter 12, verse 12, it says that the religious leaders feared the people. They were afraid of the crowd. They were nobody without the support of the crowd. And so who they were when Jesus turned to them and said, who do you think you are? Who they were was dependent on who the crowd said they were. It was dependent on what the crowd thought of them, what the crowd thought of them, how the people reacted to them, how people responded to them. If they didn't have the support of the crowd, they're nothing. They got nothing. That's why, by the way, in a few days, that's why they arrested him in the middle of the night when nobody was around. That's why they arrested him secretly and took him in the middle of the night with nobody seeing to an illegal trial that nobody knew was happening, a whole secret thing. And at the same time, because if they had arrested him publicly, the whole crowd would have gone nuts, probably would have turned on the religious leaders. So they waited till nobody was around and then they dragged him off and held an illegal secret trial. And meanwhile, they got people to go out and start working the crowd because how many know that a crowd can be worked, Right? A crowd can be swayed. You watch any political election and a crowd can be swayed if you send the right people out and you twist the words in the right way. And so so they did all of this so that by the time Jesus appeared again, by the time Jesus was seen publicly again, he had been beaten and he had been kept up all night and he had been interrogated and he had been through all of this. And so he kind of looked like a criminal. And meanwhile, they had sent people out into the crowd to sort of twist his words and say, well, I heard he said this and I think this is what he meant and got the crowd a little bit turned because crowds can be easily swayed And in the end, it was the crowd who yelled, crucify him. The religious leaders were nobody without the support of the crowd. Who they were depended on who the crowd said they were. But who Jesus was depended on who God said he was. And that had already been established. That had already been set up in the presence of John the Baptist earlier in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist was there and the, 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 this voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son. That's who Jesus was. This is my beloved son with you I am well pleased. That's what the voice said. And that was way back at the start before Jesus had even done anything. 
That's who Jesus was. Who Jesus was depended only on who God said Jesus was. The opinion of the crowd didn't matter. Didn't matter if the crowd supported Jesus and said, Hosanna and waved palm branches as he came into the city. Didn't matter if they stood around watching with amusement in the temple. And it didn't matter when they turned on him a few days later and shouted, crucify him. None of that impacted who Jesus was. He knew who he was. He knew who God had said he was. And that was all that mattered. If you ever come into my office, and a number of you have dropped by to say hello or to chat for a few minutes, and somebody brought me banana bread last week, which was awesome. But if you ever come into my office, you will see that on my desk, there's a rock. Now, I have to tell you straight up, usually my desk is a mess. So you may or may not see the rock, but it's there under things, under piles of various papers and books and stuff. But I have a rock on my desk, and there's a reason for it. I want to tell you the story. Some of you have heard this story before, and uh, you get to hear it again. But a number of years ago, when I was younger, pastoring, and was out of church, I was really happy there. Everything was good. Nothing was wrong. But I just was feeling a little bit frustrated, mostly with God. And I was feeling a little bit frustrated because I was doing stuff and was enjoying what I was doing, but I felt like I had a little bit more to offer. And I felt like I wasn't getting um, the opportunities to do what I might have you know, if within me to offer things that maybe God had called me to. And I felt a little bit frustrated about that because I wasn't getting a chance to do that. And so this is where my headspace was at. And so I was in Mexico, actually. And uh, I had taken a team there from our church. And we were in Mexico in the Monterey area, in the desert area. And we were doing all kinds of things there for a couple weeks. We were, we were ministering to people that were lived in such poverty. They, they literally lived in garbage dumps. And uh, we painted an orphanage, and we did some children's activities, and we did services and stuff like that. And we just did a bunch of stuff in Mexico. And so this whole team was there, and I'm the one leading the team. And I'm there with this kind of thing in the back of my head that I'm a little bit frustrated. And so then one day there was a speaker that came and from somewhere else and held an evening service. And we weren't, we weren't participating in the service. We were just attending. And so the speaker was there. I have no idea what he spoke on, and I couldn't tell you his name to save my life. But at the end of the service, it felt like a very meaningful service. And at the end of it, he said, you know, if you would like to receive prayer, if you'd like me to pray for you, I would be really happy to do that. And he often found that God used him sometimes to just speak encouraging things into people's lives, right? And so we, we talk about prophetic gifting sometimes here, and it's not some weird, mystical, yelling, eye-closed thing. It's just this moment when God uses one person to encourage somebody else, and the somebody else gets to go decide what they want to do with that. So that, that's a thing that matters to me, and that's been meaningful over the years. And so he said, you know, come on to the front. If, if, if I feel like God has said something, then I'll tell you, and let me just pray for you. So I was, I was like, okay, this is great. And so there's a whole line of people at the front, and he started at this end. I was about in the middle. He starts at this end, and he's praying over this person. He's praying over the next person. Every single person, he's like, you know, God, I just really feel like God is saying this, or God is saying that. And it's just, it's just powerful. You could tell people are being really impacted. It's just hitting them right where, they, where, they, where it matters to them. And he's coming down the line, and I'm like, yeah. This is going to be good. Right here I am in Mexico. I'm on a missions trip. And, and, and this guy's going to tell me that God's got something big for me. And there's going to be you know, power and strength and all of this kind of stuff. And he gets to me and I'm just waiting. Right? And he starts and he goes to start praying. And he goes, 
Wow. God just says, you are precious. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And he just goes, you're just, you're just so precious. God just says, you are just so precious. You are loved by God. You are valued. You are treasured. You are just so precious to God. And I'm standing, and not out loud because it's rude, but my shadow is going, and what else? Right? And he just, you're just, and he prays over me, and he goes, you are precious. And then he keeps going. And I was like, seriously? And then he's working down the line, and he keeps looking back. He goes, you're just so precious. I'm like, oh, my word. And I was a little bit irritated. How many right now are going, our pastor is not as godly as we thought she was? I'm nothing if not honest. Okay, So so that was fine. Service came to an end. I'm like, okay. And so we went out the next day, and we did a bunch of ministry and did a bunch of things. And this is just stewing in the back of my mind. And, And we're on a bus now on our way back to the compound where we're staying is the next day. And uh, one of the other leaders of the team, who's a good friend of mine who I trusted, said to me, hey, Patty, you know, how are you doing? Now, it turns out he was talking about a whole other situation. (laughs) But have you ever just been stewing on something so long, you're just ready to just go, blah, the first opportunity that you get, right? And And so he said, hey, Patty, how are you doing? And I just went, blah, right? And I said, you know what? I did not like that guy last night. I don't like what he said over me. He just looked at me like I'm some little girl and pat me on the head, little condescending thing, and he thinks I have a self-esteem problem, and I don't know that God loves me, and you are precious, and what is this, and on and on. And I just said, I just didn't like it at all. And he went really silent, which was probably wise. And then he, he sat there, and he finally said, ever so carefully, Patty, um... I was there, and I don't think that's what he meant. Oh, that means it's my issue then. (laughs) So we got back to the compound and had supper and probably did something with the team, and eventually everybody went to bed, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to figure this out. And so now it's late at night in this compound in Mexico in the middle of a desert and everybody's gone to bed and it's just me. And I'm sitting out on outside on some steps on the second floor of this place we're staying and I'm looking up at this desert sky and I'm going, okay, God, what? What? What did I miss? What? What? And, and I've always described it, it was like this feeling like right there was, was God, the Holy Spirit, just waiting, <laughs> this big tangled mess of my thoughts, and, and God just waiting. And I, I'm just sitting there, and I'm praying. I'm going, God, please help me to... And then I went, oh, the God of the whole universe who created all of this told me that I was precious, and I said, yeah, whatever. Can you say repent? (laughs) And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. I, 
you took time to tell me how precious and how loved I am and how valued I am. And I'm just, I'm just so sorry. Please forgive me. And I, I worked that all out. And then that's when God started, it seemed, speaking to me and started saying, you know, Patty, you have all these dreams for the future and all these things you want to accomplish and all this stuff you want to do that you're frustrated about. And you actually can do that. You can go ahead and do all of that stuff. But if you do it, from any foundation other than knowing that you're precious to me, you will hurt people because you will teach them that they have to earn my approval instead of that I already love them. And I, I, God started to show me it wasn't about the opportunities and it wasn't about the crowd and it wasn't about the things that I wanted to do. It was about knowing, absolutely knowing, knowing that God said, I was precious to him, treasured, loved, deeply valued no matter what I did, even if I failed, even if I succeeded, even if I landed somewhere between those two extremes, it would not change who God said I am. And it took me months to absorb that. If you saw my journal, you would see written every day for months, God, thank you that you say I'm precious. God, thank you that that's who you say that I am. Until it got absorbed right into my soul and deep into into my identity and who I am. So I have this rock on my desk so that I never forget who I am. And I never forget who God says I am. So that when the rest of the world slams me with, who do you think you are? I can stand up and say, I know who I am. I am precious to God. That's who he says I am. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head at this moment because I just want to give some time for some personal processing because I think this morning God is going to speak to some of you and I want to give space for that and I want to give room for that. And and the worship team is going to come up and just start playing something quietly. But I I just want to, as you have your head bowed, and some of you are going to go, "Uh, you know, this is fine for the person next to me. I want you to just for a moment imagine that it's for you, okay? And, And I want to tell you, who God says you are. And for many of us, we're going to go, yeah, that's nice, and, and just blow it off. I've heard that before. But most of us have a grid in place, a mental grid that stops us from hearing the, the real truth of who God says we are. And I, I'm just going to ask you if you could try to push it to one side for just, just for a few seconds and imagine that this is actually true, okay? Let me just, let me just tell you who God says you are. God says that you are his creation, that you are a masterpiece of his, that you are his work of art. God says that you, not the person beside you, not the person you're praying for right now, you, God says that you were created with purpose. You were created to reflect God. 
And God says that you are deeply loved and so valued beyond anything that you can even imagine. And God says that you are so welcome, always welcome, fully welcome to be part of his family if you want to be. Not on the edge, not on the fringe, not the, not the weird aunt that sits, you know, out there that the rest of the family doesn't really like. No, you're actually welcome to be all the way in part of his family. God says that you are forgiven. Right there, somebody's mental grid snapped back into place and said, no, 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 not, not for that. Yeah, for that. Imagine if it's true. God says, you're forgiven. You are made clean if you want to be. And God says, you're precious to him no matter what. And while the rest of the world wants to define who you are and they're, they're pulling you in one direction or pushing you in another direction, your parents or your, your family or your, your boss or your professor or your best friend and they're trying to get you to, to define who you are by their terms so that who you are depends on them. And while all of that is happening, God actually invites you to trust who he says you are. Actually trust that it's true. And then just let the rest of it fall into place. Because it will as you follow Jesus. So I'm just inviting you this morning, as your heads are bowed and as your eyes are closed, I'm inviting you to just whisper this prayer along with me. Jesus, I listen to this story of people demanding to know who you think you are. trying to back you into a corner and force you to answer. And I watch as you refuse to be pushed and pulled by everybody else's definition of you. And I marvel, Jesus, as you turn the conversation around because you knew, you knew who God said you were. You knew who you were. And you could stand on that. And so now, Jesus, I'm taking a deep breath and I'm asking you to show me who I am. Who you see me as. I'm asking you to silence all the other voices, even my own voice in my head, and help me to hear you. Help me to trust that what you say is true. Just take a moment and listen right now. Let him just speak into your mind. it helps whisper the prayer again Jesus show me who you say that I am and before you reject it as well it's just something Patty said or it's something that just imagine what if it's true 
Lord, if that's really who God says you are, let that truth in even now. stand with me all together. I've asked the worship team if they would sing again that song, Your Love Never Fails. We're just going to sing it through once and then we'll close it in prayer. And meanwhile, I'm asking the ministry team to come to the front and because uh, I know there'll be some of you that will want to receive prayer. But would you just let that soak into you even as we sing it again, that your love never fails.